everybody. How's it going, Kathy? Oh, I'm always about bringing the lightness to these shows. <laughs> Today on the show, we are going to talk about Albert Fish in the first of a two-part series. I had wanted to research him for a long time because I had known of him, but I didn't know mm-hmm. much about him. And he's one of the few that we haven't really talked about regularly on the show. There's some serial killers that we've talked about. Bundy comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about Dahmer a lot. Absolutely. But, you know, Albert Fish really is one of the most notorious. Mm-hmm. And he, this old dirty bastard is one hell of a class act. Yeah, it's... Uh... As you will find out if you're not super familiar with the details, this is a, well, it's just gross. He's an old dirty bastard. Yeah, it's just gross. Crazy thing about this guy is just how unassuming he looked, Mm -hmm. right? Because we, today we're going to talk a little bit about, first of all, I'll introduce who the hell he is. Okay. Um, So that, that's always a good start. (laughs) So people know like who who we're talking about here. There are some trigger warnings around mm-hmm. like some of the details and things that uh, mm-hmm. I think are relevant to talk about just because we really can't talk about him without going into the depths of his sadomasochism. Okay. And his victims are children. So, you know, just putting that out there if people don't know that and that's really not their thing, just kind of setting the stage for that. Um, yeah, if child murder isn't your thing. <laughs> well, you know, like we all have things that we don't, care for but we can listen to it and yeah. some people are like i just can't handle hearing about absolutely that. and not everyone really knows they, they know his name many people do but not really what he did so agreed well yeah. they will now if they keep listening they will now and uh so we'll talk a little bit about his childhood we're going to get into some of his psychology and uh he actually got married and had kids which we know is a thing with these guys and they there's a number of reasons why that happens and the purpose that it serves uh we'll also talk about some of his first victims but the second episode will get more into his i hate saying this because it's a horrible way to describe her but really his most famous victim grace bud we will talk about her in the in the second uh episode so all right who's this piece of shit Oh. Yeah, Hamilton Howard Fish. American serial killer, rapist, child molester. Oh, and wait for it. Cannibal. Yeah. You got to throw that in there. Yeah. He just checked all the boxes. Yeah. So he committed at least three child murders from July 1924 to June 1928. So what do we know about that? That is a four-year span three murders. Clearly he was intentional. He was not a Ted Bundy where he was impulsive going around, you know, just clocking everybody over the head. He groomed families and he was really, really bizarre in the way that he would go about getting his victims, which we'll talk about. He had other names that people called him. He was known as the gray man, which that will make sense later on. The werewolf of wisteria. Okay. The Brooklyn Vampire. <laughs> Jesus. Right? Every mythological creature. I know. The Moon Maniac. Oh, okay. See where this is all going. <laughs> yeah. And the Boogeyman. All right. Okay. So he was actually a suspect in at least 10 murders in his lifetime, but he only confessed to three. And the police were able, the, the three that he confessed to were the, the, the ones that the police were able to trace to like known homicide. 
he confessed to stabbing two other people. I don't know if they were adults or children, but you know, he was a psychopath. So Mm. we know he was also a compulsive liar. So his total victim count, like we know with many of these folks, isn't really reliable. They always want to keep some, some of them to themselves. Yeah. And what's the motive too? You know, some of them like to hold that information knowing that they know something other people don't know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll fabricate to make themselves look like they actually did more. At one point, he even admitted to having a child victim in every state. Well, and controlling other people psychologically is a whole big, massive piece of this. He confesses to three child murders and then admits at one point to having a child victim in every state. So what? which one is it, Al? <laughs> it's somewhere in between, probably. Yeah. So he was apprehended on December 13th, 1934, just to orient people to where we were in history. But it's really insane to me that this like tiny little frail ass of a man could do the damage that he did because <laughs> he really looked yeah. like very thin, very frail. And he was, he was an old dude. Yeah, he does. He looks very unassuming, which is certainly one way to be successful. Yeah. yeah. So where did he come from? He was born on May 19th, 1870. He went through the turn of the century. His father had English roots. His mother was of Scottish and Irish descent. But get this one. His father was 43 years his mother's senior. Wow. So either she was a toddler Mm. When they got married and he was somewhat young or she was like in her teenage years, early 20s, and he was already an old dude. But by the time that Fish was born, his father was 75 and he died when Fish was only five years old. Okay. Dad wasn't in the picture. Hamilton, his birth name, he changed his name to Albert, who was actually after a sibling who had passed He did this because, and I'll talk about his life in the orphanage, but he ended up going into an orphanage. He changed his name to escape the nickname Ham and Eggs. Oh, okay. His name was Hamilton. They called him Ham and Eggs that he received in the orphanage where he spent most of his childhood. Okay. So early on, he already had there was a lot of humiliation there was a lot of there wasn't a lot of nurturing there was a lot of mental illness in his family so he he had a his family had a history of mental illness his uncle had mania one of his brothers was uh confined in a state mental hospital a paternal half-brother suffered from schizophrenia and his sister annie was diagnosed with a quote-unquote mental affliction which is what they would call it at that time And then three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses. And his mother had visual hallucinations. She would see things that weren't there. So really, I mean, if you think about this, and again, you and I like to separate the explanation from the excuse. But it's really sad. This is how this guy came into the world. And this is who he was around. Yeah, it strikes me the 43-year-old age difference. and Yeah. I mean, he was only five when his dad died. And his mom was his mom was very sick. He and had already lost a sibling. Ill. Yeah, we know right? what you know caregivers who have mental illness mm-hmm. who, that's untreated. We know how that, especially at that time, that's a huge theme in the people we've talked about. Right, and in the thirties, good luck. Yeah, no, I mean, so his right. father, his father's name Randall Fish. He initially worked as a riverboat captain, and then he later became a fertilizer manufacturer. He died of a heart attack. Stinky. When he, yeah, right. <laughs> he was, um, 
around 80 years old when he died of a heart attack at, at Washington's Sixth Street Station in 1875. And then so he, you know, he's left with a, a mother who's at that time deemed crazy. Yeah, I mean, his five, the all the different developmental tasks he would oh have needed God. weren't there, I'm sure. What happens is he's sent to St. John's Orphanage in Washington where he was, this is where it gets sadder. He actually starts to become brutally beaten very often. He's tortured. And as he starts to grow up and this is happening on the regular, he starts to realize that the arousal, he was starting to feel an arousal from the pain. Mm-hmm. And he came to the conclusion that the pain of other people would be pleasurable to him as well. So wow. he started to develop this association with pain. Mm-hmm. And the experiences that he faced in the orphanage were the beginning of his desire for pain, not only inflicted on himself, but also upon other people. And I, you know, I would imagine that there was a part of him that maybe did this uh, subconsciously or unconsciously as a way of gaining control over what was happening to mm-hmm. him. I'm not sure, but he definitely developed what we call like a paired association with, with the abuse. So if you're being beaten all the time, inevitably it's going to be at a time when you're turned on for other reasons, or yep. if that's the only sensation you're receiving, mm-hmm. I can see how, you know, nothing necessarily would have needed to have quote unquote happened. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Plus we don't really know. All the totality, of course, of no. what happened to him. So We don't. But you're right. That's probably the majority of what he got there and therefore turned it into something. Attention, right? Yeah. Like that was the only attention he had. That's right. So he develops this paired association with his abuse. And he's, you know, he was frequently, frequently exposed to torture through beatings. And he began to associate this with pleasure, like I was just saying a moment ago. Since this was during his adolescence, like Shannon was just saying, his body begins to respond in ways that would become aroused while being whipped and found himself actually anticipating and looking forward to these times. Okay. And these forms of torture, which tells us a lot about how he gets into his world later. So he's not, on top of all of this, he's not receiving any formal education. Mm. So his mom then, his mother gains both mental and job security, and she brings him home when he's very young, when he's still young. Oh, golly. So now he has all of this shit that Mm -hmm. he's been through, and mom tries to bring him back into the world, and we know that, okay, maybe she has job stability and she's doing okay, but I, I don't think we can classify her as healthy. No. On the mend, maybe. On the mend, no father in the picture or no second parent in the picture. So at the age of 12, he gets involved in a relationship with this telegraph boy. To add insult to injury, as if he hasn't had enough shit, Mm. this is the boy who introduces him to paraphilic practices such as, uh, I think it's called urolagnia Mm. and coprophagia. Okay. Urolagnia is, is a paraphilia in which sexual excitement is associated with the sight or thought of urine or urination. You like getting peed on. Yeah. Okay. You like getting peed on. You like peeing on other people. You like pee. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You want to say pee more? (laughs) Pee. (laughs) And then coprophagia involves the eating of feces. Yeah. So my God. Scat, as they say. Yes. This guy is beaten. He's aroused by being beaten. 
He's eating shit. Okay. He's peeing on people. It's, it's, I mean, how old is he at this point? Like 12. Okay. So. Sorry. Uh, good luck. Yeah. This is real. I mean, this is up there with all the people, <laughs> all the mass murderers yeah. we've talked about. This is, this is not a, um, this is absolutely childhood. not a recipe for no. success. They become romantically involved. I don't know what that means at the age of 12, but as romantic as sexual two activity people, yes. and caring about each other, I assume. And how did they do that? They did that through eating and drinking each other's feces and urine. Hmm. So this becomes like a ritual yeah. okay. and this is how they connect. Mm -hmm. All these good people in his life. Let's add the next one. Okay. While he's dating the, this guy playing with pee and poop. Okay. Now we move on to I this. just want to keep saying that. Who? <laughs> now we move on to the next peer influence oh that places him on the path to I really don't want to know cannibalism. Are we done? <laughs> by watching his peers eat people themselves. Oh. Well, how did that work? This is what we call good modeling, folks. Yeah. Right? So where the f hell did you grow up? that all of the people around you are doing these things. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Is that just bad luck? Is that just a, the sign of the times? Like, I don't know. Most people in the 30s don't, no, were not referred to not. as cannibals. Right. Luck of the draw. Luck of the draw. Good modeling. Oh, okay, boy. so we're going to talk about Grace Bud in the next episode, but in a letter to the victim's mother, Grace Bud's mother, he confirms that his desire to eat flesh came from being exposed to watching it when he was a kid. Okay. Following his desires, you know, blindly without having a positive influence in his life. And I mean, but there's truth to that. I mean, sure. if this is what's being modeled to him and no one's saying it's bad to eat people. You would think that it was normative. Right. If that's what you're surrounded with at that age, not knowing, I guess. So he has all these early experiences into depravity and and then he starts you know to visit public baths to watch boys undress okay okay um he starts writing salacious pornographic and vulgar letters to women from classified advertisements and matrimonial agencies he now starts to play he's starting to see how are people going to respond to these fantasies? And writing to in classifieds, you know, he can keep himself a little bit at a distance. It's developing. He's practicing. That's right. Yeah. Here's the rehearsal. So now by the age of, we're at age of 20. He moves. Ripe old age of 20. Ripe Although old age I realize at that point that was old, you know, like everybody didn't live as long as yeah, we do Yeah, and the now. fact that his father lived till 80 at that it's time was really quite a crazy. big deal. Yeah. Because he was, he did a lot of, physical labor and things like that. So by the age of 20, he moves to New York. You know, why not? He begins working as a prostitute. He didn't have any other skill sets. No. He was surviving. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of his adulthood, so shortly before this, he, he began to play out fantasies by, by luring young boys, right? He would torture them by smacking them with paddles embedded with nails, which I'm assuming would was very similar to what he experienced in the orphanage. And then uh, these scenarios would end in rape. Yeah. Okay. So like we've talked about in other episodes, 
a lot of times these fantasies are really just rehearsals for the real thing. And so like Shannon was saying a moment ago, then he started to write into classifieds and he's starting to take successive approximation, little steps to the real thing, little steps to this actually happening. Yeah. You just feel it coming, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. You just feel the inevitable. Right. So then, you know, by the time he was 20, he was actually acting this out, luring these young boys in and doing these things. And many of the boys, what this is really sad, many of the boys were under the age of six years old. Oh, no. Yeah. So this was the beginning of his obsession with young children and his ability to persuade them so easily. And this was how he became one of the most feared serial killers of all time because his victim pool was literally innocent children, not even adolescents or young adults, children. Like, yes. Little kids. Little kids. And what we know about many of the serial killers that we've talked about on the show is, for the most part, their victims have been adults. For the most part, we have absolutely done episodes on child murder, of course. But when we talk about the actual criminal psychology of someone, it's been adults. Yeah. Yeah. Our boy here is a little bit off, right? So his mother knows this. And in 1898, she arranges him for mar- to, for him to marry a woman by the name of Anna Mary Hoffman. Jesus. She was only nine years his junior, not 43. So, you know, starting to correct in the new generation. Sure. Maybe trying to mm-hmm. shorten that gap. He had six children with her. Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. I can't imagine having one child with this man. She had six. I, I imagine she didn't have a choice. She did not have a choice, and she I don't really believe she wanted to marry him either. So at the time, he's working as a house painter, and over time, to Shannon's point, she does end up leaving him. Which was crazy for that time period. That's right. Well, and she had security because she left him for another man Mm, okay. by the name of John Straub, I think is how you pronounce it. Well, and And I imagine at that time, that's the only way you could do it. Like you, you don't have, that's right. You're not allowed to work or whatever. She left all six of the children with him too. Yeah. Yeah. So that tells you she really didn't want to have them. That's right. Yeah. You had no attachment to these children who were half his. Right. And that in some ways she probably detached early on from them and from him. And she was basically a baby maker and a wife Mm -hmm. until she wasn't. But but we also don't know anything about her, I guess. We don't. Yeah. This is just all theoretical. Yeah. Gotcha. Knowing who he is. Right. Because his kids will say some things here in a moment. So Fish develops a skill for house painting. He's working in states across the country. Some people believed he actually selected states that were largely populated with African-Americans because, and and this has come up with other killers that we've talked about before, is that he thought the police would spend less time searching for the killer of an African-American child than of a Caucasian child because, especially at that time, they didn't care. Yeah, that was correct on his part. So he selected black children to endure his torture using his, what they called, instruments of hell which included the paddle, a meat cleaver, and knives. So I just want to, I'm going to paint this real quick here. No pun intended. He's out painting houses Mm. all over the goddamn country. He's got six kids at home. Yeah. No wife, no mother for these kids. 
while he's out doing all this, he's also luring children and developing a system of torture. How does he have time for all this? I don't know. Well, I don't imagine he's taking doing anything with the children. Well, we also don't know how many victims he actually had. These could all be fantasies or these. a lot of this is theoretical. We don't know. And that his own children didn't become. No. His son, Albert Jr., stated that he remembers his father doing strange things around the house when they were young. So he would, he said that fish would strip down to his underwear and he would have his own children spank him as part of a game. Okay. So his children were abused. Oh, my God. Oh, they were abused. Yeah. But they didn't, as far as I know, they did not become abusers. Yeah. As far as we know. So I was thinking his own children could become his own, his victims. Oh, right. It, but yeah. And they were his victims That's right. of abuse, but I don't think he killed any of them. He objectified them for his own yeah, arousal, that's, that's which, sexual is, abuse. which is sexual abuse. That's yeah, right. What so we're talking about. Albert Jr. also goes on to reveal that fish only ate raw steak during a full moon. That's where the werewolf oh, thing Jesus. comes from. And Christ. how he had uh, come home one day. I, I, thank God I've never come home and witnessed my father doing this. He came home one day to find his father naked and beating himself with a wooden board. Fish had fashioned with pointed metal nails. Yeah, the flagellation is eminent. And so his son says, I've never wanted anything to do with him and I'll not lift a hand to help him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair, sir, fair. Obviously, but I will say it, Fish was a sadomasochist. Mm -hmm. He craved feeling pain. He craved inflicting pain, all for the purpose of sexual gratification. But I want to be clear, not all sadomasochism is necessarily a pathological thing. But in this case, this was someone who was doing it for the purpose of torturing others. There was no consent. No. This was murder. This was abuse. This was exploiting people. Well, and the violence yeah. with sex connection from when he was That's a kid. Right. Yeah, it's very yeah. different. Because he developed this tendency for sexual sadism throughout his former formative years, but no boundaries, no one teaching him about sexuality. He'd often subject himself to painful procedures, most notably driving nails into the, his body, especially in, in his scrotum and his rectum. If that doesn't tell you, I mean, like, my God. Ouch. Um, he would literally drive them in and pull them out and then drive them in and pull them out. Mm-hmm. Um, he started driving them in so far that he couldn't get them back out. So after he was arrested and examined by a doctor, an x-ray showed 29 needles stuck in his pelvis. Mm. Th- I mean, this guy is beyond sick. Mm-hmm. We've talked about some sick folks on this show before, but this is another level. Yeah, absolutely. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. So Albert Fish had many run-ins with the police in his lifetime, but every time, you know, the charges were dismissed. And I I believe that was because of how he looked. Mm -hmm. Like, how could this old white man be doing this shit? 
Yeah, nobody would have ever suspected this. No. Then. I mean, look them up. Look them up. Don't look them up if you're driving. No. If you're driving right now, don't do that. Just listen. Look them up later. <laughs> but he looks like a little old man that just lives right next door to you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about a few of his victims without going too much into Grace Bud, which I will later. So he his first attempt at murder was unsuccessful. And he had intended on killing his first victim, Thomas Kedden. He claimed the uh, the weather was actually too hot. So by this point, Fish had already been torturing and sexually assaulting this victim. So it wasn't a random victim. There was this this he was going back. He was to this nineteen. He was a nineteen year old boy with an intellectual disability. I mean, it doesn't get more low hanging fruit than that. It's awful because you know that that's. That's the victim profile. Like, that's why that's he right. picked him. That's why he groomed him. So sad. It's really, really, that's really evil and sad. And he did this over the course of two weeks to this boy. He, he, the boy rode the rails in Delaware for most of his life. And then one day he ran into fish. I mean, talking about losing the lottery. Wow. Yeah. So in 1910, fish was working in Wilmington when he met Kedden and reportedly fish and Kedden had a sexual relationship. I would, um, say that they didn't have a sexual relationship. He had complete control yeah. over this kid who had no choice. Right. The relationship ended in torture, including cutting off half of the boy's genitals and pouring peroxide over the wound. Okay. This He went to such levels. Uh, it's devastating. It's so brutal. Yeah. This boy survived. And you think like just how awful. That's terrible. So after this, he would eventually become very successful because he wasn't going to make this mistake again. Mm. So now we're looking at like 1919 to 1924. So nine years later, he um, fishes back in it. He's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this right. He stabbed a boy with an intellectual disability. This is what he did. But the details of his victims or how many there were, like I said early on, haven't really been uncovered. He would choose children with disabilities. He would choose African-American children who were not going to be searched. Oftentimes his victims became his meals. Yeah. So there was nothing to be found. So Mm. we don't have a count. No, no. His interest in cannibalism would lead to him also inviting his children to eat raw meat with him. I was waiting for that. Yeah. Oh, and we've seen God. horror movies on that, right? Where the God. kids all sit around and you know, I think there's one with Amanda Seyfried that came out a few years back and it's really good. And you find out that they're like, yeah, they're eating that's people. That's what they're eating. Soylent <laughs> green is people. <laughs> Ew. Ew. So, ow. This is a Soylent green situation. Ugh. Albert Fish, in his own words, the shocking confession of the child killing cannibal. Okay. Right. Um, author and filmmaker John Borowski presents Fish's recollection of the events. Fish says, quote, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Fish maintained that although he initially planned to kill Kedden, he tended to the wound before imparting the teen with a final kiss and farewell, took, out, took the first train, I could get back home, never heard of what became of him. Or tried to find out. No. So this is the, we're talking about the 19 year old. Yeah. Okay. So now on July 11th, 1924, he sees a young girl by the name of Beatrice 
Keel, an eight-year-old girl playing on her parents' farm in Staten Island. To lure her, he offers money to help him look for rhubarb in the fields. Hey, little girl, want some rhubarb? Yeah. No. No, thank you. Bye. Fortunately, her mother sees him and chases him away. Thank God. Yeah, right? He comes back to the farm. I bet there were a lot of stories like that where, like, he was trying, like, when he was practicing and everything. Like, there's probably hundreds of stories where he tried to get someone to come with him because it's just a numbers game to these guys. Oh, yeah. They just wait till they find the next one. And they're looking for any state, any situation that someone's vulnerable and they can catch them in. Yep. So he comes back to the farm after the mother shoes him away and, and was found trying to sleep in the barn. Okay. So the girl's parents are like, you need to leave now. He's out and about. He's out and about trying to come back for more. And then the 10 year old Grace Bud, who I will talk about later, but he, she was his most publicized victim in 1928. Fish inquired with the Bud parents about hiring their son, Edward for some work. Initially he had planned to kill the 18 year old boy And we'll talk in the next episode about how that changed to grace. One of the most disturbing things about Albert Fish was that he wrote letters to his victims. So in 1934, Fish decided to write an anonymous letter to Grace Bud's parents six years after she went missing. Imagine, like they have no answers, right? And there we are. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. The torture, the psychological control and torture. And I will have a copy of that letter in the next episode. And it's incredibly detailed. Oh, I can't wait for the emotional torture of that. I did it for you. Thank you, Dr. Barrett. You're so welcome. (laughs) But that was one of the most disturbing things was the way that he would, you know, contact and play. I I think of it almost like a cat playing with a mouse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, Just kind of beating it around. Yeah, this guy very much like aired on the side of the manipulation and psychological torture of everything, you know, sometimes we see these guys and and gals, we've talked about both, that are more quick to kill and savor the after of it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and this guy really savors the before of it, but then the after is more like this psychological control and power over people's emotions. And I really relate that to what we know of his childhood, right? Oh, God, yeah. Being emotionally manipulated and scarred himself and learning that, like, and probably having some kind of feeling like, okay, no one's ever going to do that to me again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it to you. And then, of course, the sexual satisfaction that he was getting from all of it. Well, and let's be real. He had nothing else going on. No. You look at somebody like... He only had a wife and six children that he could have made a life out of, but no. Well, he didn't even choose to be in that marriage, right? And well, then... But maybe they didn't really at that time. I don't know. I don't know. But, but I mean, you look at someone like BTK, Dennis Rader had a full life going on outside of what he was doing. Like, yeah, this guy, no. literally, this was his entire life. Yeah, I mean, there was... And if you think about it, he was also intellectually disabled in a sense because of never having any school and being beaten throughout all of the developmental stages where he would have learned and socialized and emotionally developed. He didn't have any of that. So I can imagine relating to him or being in in a conversation with him or in relationship with him might have felt like you were with someone 
who, you know, didn't know the rules of the world or of people or understood emotions or understood empathy, obviously, or wasn't able to relate at all. Yeah. And and also just intellectually behind his peers, certainly. So it's like, who's he going to make friends with? Like, common interests? That's right. And the common interests that he had were with these kids that were cannibals. Right. And torturing God knows who. Yeah, like, come yeah. over and let's eat people and watch a movie. Like, and be- I don't... beat the shit out of each other? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah exactly. They're Pee just... on each other? Yeah, sure. Eat our shit? Yeah. Okay. It's just a Saturday night. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so Shannon does when she comes over. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, uh... Sodom. Ugh. It is Sodom. Yeah. So Fish includes a linen... When, when he writes to Grace Bud's parents, he, he includes a linear timeline of the events, which is um, really disturbing and the detectives were able to identify fish as a suspect from the letter sent to the buds. And I'll talk about that in the next episode. So I'm just going to end here with a little bit of his psychology that you can maybe hold on to as we get into this next episode. <laughs> Do we have to hold on to this? <laughs> no, no, I won't. In summation, mm-hmm. the sadomasochism that fish expressed through his life is a combination of uh, a lot of contextual factors that Shannon and I have talked about today. So after his father died, when he was young, he's sent to an orphanage. He's brutally tortured and abused which he internalizes and then gains control over by finding pleasure in the humiliation, shame, and pain of it all, I think. In addition, he's exposed to cannibalism at a young age. He begins eating raw meat shortly after witnessing it from up here. He did not have any strong or healthy adults in his life. He did not have a father figure. Um, He really didn't have much of a mother. It was easy for him to depend on the peers in his life to guide him. I mean, those were the folks that he was around. That's where he was learning things from. Yeah, which is always a bit of a misstep. Yeah. And then the deterioration of his marriage was another trigger that led to the onset of his schizophrenia. There isn't much said about um, his mental health prior to that, other than, you know, we can allude to things based on how he was acting. As I had noted before, Albert Fish Jr., his son, has spoken out recounted the story of an afternoon where his father ruined a family outing in upstate New York during his 1935 testimony. He stated that his his father stated that he was suffering from hallucinations and Albert Jr. said that he climbed the hills of Westchester through his fists to the sky and continually screamed, I am Christ. So his erratic behavior then escalated to include a biblical fascination with sin and sacrifice. And, you know, I think we can, really conclude that all makes sense based on living in the orphanage. I'm sure there was a lot of religion and and shame and all of that there. Yeah, and that's really what it is, right? The connection between violent sex and shame. That's right. Yeah. Totally. So if we look at what we call the diathesis stress model, which I've talked about on the show before, we talk about genetic predisposition with an environmental trigger. So he's genetically predisposed to mental illness or mental affliction, And then the onset of an abandonment trigger, his illness surfaces. He was 47 years old when the dissolution of his marriage occurs after his wife leaves him for another man. Everyone's left him. Mm -hmm. Everyone's left him. Mm -hmm. Fish begins to experience auditory hallucinations, which satisfy his masochistic desires. He then begins to insert needles into his groin, his abdomen, hitting himself with a nail-studded paddle which was very similar to the one he was hit with in the orphanage. So 
if I were to diagnose him, mm. which again, this is all theoretical. Yep. We're looking at pedophilia with sadomasochism disorder and schizophrenia, right? We can throw in antisocial personality and all that in there too. I think we know he's a psychopath, but I think really this, the sadomasochism disorder with schizophrenia, really those two in combination. We know that schizophrenia in general doesn't create dangerousness, but if it's layered with some of these paranoid features and some of these other illnesses, then it can become quite dangerous. So following his release from the psychiatric facility in 1930, he's arrested in 1931 for mailing obscene letters. He'd write to women who would request pen pals in the Lonely Heart section of his local newspaper, and he would pretend to be a Hollywood producer named Robert Fisk with a son named Bobby, who needed frequent spankings with a cat of nine tails. I mean, I just, that is some serious. Ow! I, I mean, that's descriptive. He's a screenwriter I now. I am a producer named Robert Fisk, and I have a son named Bobby who needs frequent spankings and with this, a cat of nine tails. That's how you draw it in the ladies? It, that's how we got interested in the ladies? I guess. In the paper? Ladies were like, oh, hell yeah, sign me up. So he, he reportedly corresponds with one woman who, who went on with his game of perversion. I'm not sure if she believed it or just liked the whole thing and even admits to being interested in, in cannibalism in these letters. So he instructs her to tie up her son and husband so that they could both feast on them. Okay. So I've got an idea. I'm going to write this to you. What I want you to do next. Foreplay. Here's a foreplay. <laughs> When he, when Fish sends this inappropriate letter to a maid, the woman uh, notifies the authorities. Fish, again, is briefly hospitalized. She came to her senses yeah, at she's that point. Just like, um, she's like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah, yeah, this is done. So lastly, many psychiatrists were consulted by the court to lend their expert opinions on his condition. And the district attorney at the time, James Dempsey, through these testimonies, wanted to establish Fish as insane and a psychiatric phenomenon. However, there were several rebuttal witnesses who believed that he, although was abnormal, he was actually sane. He knew what he was doing the entire time. He knew what he was doing was harmful. And they said that his perversions were socially perfectly all right and that he was punishing himself to get sexual gratification. So he basically saying like he knew what he was doing and it was okay with it and he was doing it for his own gratification. He discussed the details of uh, the murder of Bill Gaffney, describing how he tied him up and beat him. He admits to drinking his blood and making a stew out of his body parts. His attitude was not like those of people who have psychosis. Um, and what I mean by that is usually when you're talking about people who have that, there's a level of like disorganized thinking and things are oftentimes nonsensical. He was very clear, could articulate very well. Uh, and the, the court agreed that he was not mentally sick and didn't suffer from psychosis. So, you know, they concluded he was a fucking psychopath. Yeah. yeah. The end. The end <laughs> of part one. Aren't you all excited to hear more of this shit? I can't wait. We have lots to uh, hold on to, as you said. Well, hold on your fish. I imagine reading about all of this and noting all the details <laughs> to recite them well, to us just was so, a delightful experience well, for you. so much information. It's about organizing it in a way that 
you don't get caught in too many of the details because it's like yeah i think it's important to it's important to talk about the sensational pieces of this the parts that are so unlike most of us because that is what is so surprising and then that does get you wondering about like who was this guy and why did he do that like that's so terrible why did he do that it's important to know some of the details, yeah. but Jesus. It's more, I think, more so setting the psychology of it too helps. I know for me then, like, when you're reading the story, the why is always really important. Like, anyone can read the facts. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. And then for me, when I'm watching movies about these characters, you know, they're always making yeah. movies and documentaries about it. I, And then I like to watch them and then sort of see which parts they concentrate on that that, that's interesting to me like oh they just left that whole thing out where he's yeah a cannibal or whatever (laughs) you're like the biggest one of the biggest part of his identities is not exactly yeah or the beatings as a child or the or the religion part of it or whatever they decide to leave out you know is always interesting to me but anyway thank you so much kathy you're so welcome (laughs) (laughs) all right this has been an episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone